Hi, this is Lauren Williams, and you're listening to Chasing Dreams with Amy J. Welcome to Chasing Dreams Podcast with Amy J. Amy believes that realizing a life without regrets is achieved by taking chances, chasing your dreams, making moves, and overcoming your doubts. The Chasing Dreams Podcast will help you overcome life's obstacles, believe in your potential, and inspire you to face your fears. And now here's the woman who is passionately pursuing her dreams, Amy J. I have an Olympic-sized episode for you today, and I am so excited. Please forgive the pun because of that. I want you to meet Lauren Williams, CFP. She is a four-time Olympian, three-time Olympic medalist, and the first American woman to medal in both the Summer and Winter Olympic Games. While pursuing professional sports, Lauren interacted with not one, but two financial advisors that didn't provide the services she needed. She asked friends what they were doing about their finances, and the answers were vague and unsettling to her. Constantly looking for ways to make a difference in the lives of others, she decided to put her finance degree and MBA to use to fill the gap for young professionals. Eager to learn everything, she then pursued the Certified Financial Planning Certification. Like, she's so smart, guys. Her company, Worth Winning, offers virtual services to help young professionals get the answers to the financial questions that matter most to them, whether that is creating a budget, figuring out a plan for paying off student loans, setting goals for savings, or understanding your 401k, her company Worth Winning is ready to help with all things personal finance. And she has taken the time out of her busy day to talk to us and just share some of the things she's learned. And I am so stoked for you guys to listen. So check it out now. Hey, Lauren, how's it going tonight? I'm having a wonderful evening. I've gotten rid of my husband and my dog, and I'm ready to podcast. Who doesn't love a quiet room for podcasting? I totally love a quiet room for podcasting. I think it's a very important part of getting good audio. And some people take for granted how hard it is to get a quiet room. That's true. That's true. I've got one. You do. Let's do this. All right, let's do this. So- Lauren, you have an interesting background. When I met you, it was at Podcast Movement. So guys, this is another one of my PM friends. You guys have met many of them. I introduce you to another one. Your background, which, you know, for me, was just podcaster. And then when we met, it was Olympian, financial planner, wife, dog owner. And I'm like, what doesn't she do? I try to do it all, but I can't do it all. So one thing at a time is really how I'm trying to approach my life right now. Right now, in this moment, I am a podcast guest. After this podcast, I'll probably be a dog owner again because the dog will need walking. Ah. And then on and on and on. Yeah, but I spent a good bit of my life, you're right, as an Olympian. And I identified myself as that for 10 years. Uh, Four Olympic Games and three in track and field and one in bobsled. And congratulations, because you are not just a medalist, you are a gold medalist amongst many medals that you have. I mean, guys, you should look her up. Links will be in the show notes because she's more than just a limpy and we're going to talk more about it. But just to touch on this, 
when you were growing up, did you think I'm going to be an Olympian? When I was growing up, I had no idea I was going to be an Olympian. I actually was really focused on being smart. That just didn't really know like where that was going to take me or how, but I knew like smart was the key that the, the key to achieving your dreams. And so my parents really instilled in me the importance of education. Uh, I was just outside exercising because it was like, you know, go outside and play. And I started to show promise in track and field. And when I realized that I could get a scholars, a college scholarship for it, I was like, oh, okay. Like this track and field thing is a lot more fun if someone's going to let me go to school for free because I had no idea how I was going to pay for it. So that's kind of how I got into track and field. It wasn't so much like a childhood dream of being an Olympian. It was more of a, a means to an end initially. Well, and you did do the, let's be clear, you did do the the smart thing. I see that you got inducted into the Iron Arrow Honor Society at the University of Miami, which is the university's highest honor. So congratulations on that. Thank you. Yeah, I tried to, you know, be a good student, be a, a good servant of the university, um, just, you know, be a good Miami hurricane. I love that school. I loved all that was going on during that time period. We had a really great president, uh, female president, uh, and Donna Shalala, and it was just a great role model of um, things you can do to kind of take yourself to the next level and continue to develop yourself as uh, as a young lady. And I followed that example in, in everything that I did. And I think that's why they found me worthy of participating in Iron Arrow. And, you know, what's... what. Because I know another track and field um, from Trinidad and Tobago, uh, Chloe, Cleo. Jeez, I don't even know why. I'm oh, like, yeah. It's like, do you know Cleo? Yeah, I know Cleo. I, mean, I don't know her, know her, but I know her. Right. Yeah. So Cleo went to um, University of Maryland, Baltimore County. Shout out to the Retrievers. And so I know she went and she became an Olympia. She's doing amazing. And so when somebody comes to you and says, hey, Olympics. What did you think? Um, I don't know. I think like, I mean, some people think it's really cool and they, you know, they want to talk about it. And sometimes I'm really shy and I'm like, I don't really know how to talk about it without being socially awkward. Or um, sometimes I feel like it's the only thing people think of when, you know, like once, once they find out you're that, you can't be anything else. And so I've had a really hard time, like as I transitioned from Olympian to financial planner uh, in like owning that part of life. It's kind of like, oh, that's a thing I did in the past. I don't want to talk about it anymore. When really it's a part of who I am and I should be, you know, excited and uh, pumped to, to share that with others. But, uh, you know, I've had to really figure out how to like redirect the conversation in such a way where that doesn't, you know, consume the conversation and that people see that there's more to me than just my Olympic um, accomplishments. So now that I'm a little bit more mature and I'm, you know, a little bit better at negotiating a conversation, I feel a lot more comfortable um, kind of pumping that up and, you know, letting people kind of bask in that moment when they like, oh, you're an Olympian. I'm like, yeah, that's, I am. Um, and I got three medals and I went to four games and. And the first, first woman, American woman for the yeah. summer and the winter, like it gets a little bit less awkward, but you never like want to just start pumping yourself up. So it's always been yeah, kind of like, how do you broach this, this subject uh, gracefully? Understood. Yeah. And and I could see why that is. And we've talked offline about kind of how women and people kind of feel about talking ourselves up about things. Trust, this is not something you have to talk up. But what's impressed me about it is you did the Summer Olympics. You also did the Winter Olympics. How did you get into bobsled? 
literally, I ran into a girl in the airport um, and I had read an article about her having tried bobsled, uh, you know, a couple, probably nine or 10 months before. And I was like, wow, I read an article about you trying bobsled. I always thought that was such a cool thing. You know, how did you get into it? And she said, you know, I, someone reached out to me. It was the best experience of my life. You know, this is, it's nothing like track and field. You should give it a try. And I was, I knew I was at the end of my career and I wasn't quite sure what I was going to do next. And so I was like, "Eh, why not? This could be something fun to do recreationally after sport. And little did I know it was six months until the Olympic games. And, uh, you know, they were in the midst of the Olympic trials and I showed up right on time. I got third place and over the next six months, the the rest was history. Come on, be honest. Was it cool runnings? It's nothing like cool runnings. And so I had no frame of reference either. That was all I knew about bobsled. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, the first thing I did, I was like, oh, well, I better like watch this movie. And so I can get up to date on some of these things that are going on. I love that. It's <laughs> a gross dramatization of what actually happens in bobsled. It is so much harder, so much scarier. Yeah, just completely different than what the movie says. Cool. Uh, Bobsled is. Are you are you saying that TV and Hollywood have, you know, taken license to something of like that? I I am I am just saying that TV is TV and reality is reality. <laughs> Everything you see on Instagram is not real. Everything you see on television is not real. Everything you see in the movies, I hate to be the one to, to dash any dreams this evening, but reality is real and all that other stuff not so much. But you make a good point, guys. If, you, if you're chasing dreams, make sure you don't just chase the, the fantasized, Hollywoodized version of it. Find out what it's really about before you, you know, chase it. Because we're all for chasing. Just chase the reality and not the fantasy. Yeah. And chase, you know, your authentic dream. I think so frequently we get caught up in this, like the same thing I was talking about earlier. Like I wasn't sure who I was and identity wise. And you're having this kind of crisis. Like your dream is what you should be chasing. Don't chase anyone else's dream and don't chase what you think um, someone has in line for you. I, I went after what I thought was best for me in that moment. And bobsled wasn't so much a dream of mine, but switching over and showing myself that I could use my body in a different way was a dream of mine because I was feeling in track and field like my career was over. I was having a hard time managing my weight. You know, I'm past my useful life. I'm no longer this thing. So I'm nothing. Um, and then I realized like, I'm in really good shape. Like I'm a world-class athlete. Like what else could I do with myself? And so in chasing the dream, it was really about how can I reach my full potential at this new thing that I'm doing? And my full potential wasn't necessarily winning an Olympic medal. That was, that was never the dream. The dream was get out there every day, do my best at it, uh, be the best me that I could be and help this team get whatever it is they needed to be successful. And so if that was me on the sideline cheering for them, then so be it. But if it was me that they needed to be in, and then I was going to be ready. Um, and I just think that really like chasing dreams is about the natural pursuit of what you want versus that pursuit of what everybody else is thinking. And so, you know, a lot of people think like you probably did it for the medal or you you did it to be the first American woman in the summer in the winter games mm-hmm. or, you know, like that that was someone else's dream. And that's the thing that someone else is going to focus on. You got to decide what your dream is, go hard after it. And make sure that it's authentic to what you want to do. Yeah, I love that because I think so many movies that we see, um, it's about meddling, 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 right? 
Mm-hmm. And the fact that yours wasn't necessarily that, I'm sure it was a bonus, a plus, a, a cherry on top, if you will. Um, but it wasn't necessarily the reason why you did it. And I love that. And so one of the things that's interesting about you and the story I learned about you and wanted to talk about is we often see athletes, Olympians uh, during these moments, right? So for you, it was four Olympic games, right? But that was that's usually the life expect- expectancy, if you will, of an Olympian. Is that fair to say? Um, for, for years, most likely, or yeah, four one, games. One game, so like yeah. 10 years. Oh no, that is not the normal life expectancy at all. Um, very much an exception to the rule, uh, for athletes, the average life of a athlete is probably three to five years. And, um, you know, you're really lucky if you make it past the three year mark and into the five year mark. Um, so yeah, I was kind of extraordinary in the sense that I was able to go to more than one Olympics. Uh, and go to four Olympics, you know, in, in addition to that. And then, you know, they switch from summer to winter. Uh, definitely an anomaly, not the not the, the norm. And the reason I ask, and guys, when I say life expectancy, I mean as an athlete, not literally their life expectancy. Okay, just, <laughs> just to clear that up. But the reason I ask is, you know, um, it's, it's like baseball players, but anybody who's an athlete, sports players, right? There's a time period where their career is going to do really well. And then there's going to be a time where it's like, you may not make it to the team. You may be retired. You may be kicked out. It, you know, for whatever reason, athletics is no longer your occupation or can no longer be your occupation, probably in the way you would want it to be. And so it's important to kind of figure out what you're going to do after that. Did you have a plan? for what you would do after the Olympics and after you went on that journey? I had no idea what I was going to do. And one of the things that I think is really important uh, for anyone who is going to, you know, do something that, you know, has uh, a end of its useful life and move on to the next thing. Like, you know, that you can't do this thing forever uh, is having that plan be in place or just having some ideas of what it is that you want to do because you never really know what's going to happen you know from one day to the next none of us do but having that idea so that you can pivot versus kind of you know having to recreate the whole wheel is is a really important skill i think that i recommend and you know now as a financial planner i talk to my athletes about all the time is you know there is going to be an end to this and we've got to have a plan in place it doesn't matter if you know the plan changes we've we got to have plan number one in place uh because for for all that it was you know, pumped up or, you know, the way that people said that you'd easily transition from sport to life after sport. It was not like that for me at all. And, you know, I was fortunate in that I had two degrees when I finished um, competing. I had, you know, a little bit of work experience. I had a good amount of money in the bank. Uh, So all these different things that come up against, I had finished my education. Um, All these things that athletes come up against when they're done competing, in addition to not really knowing what they're passionate about, if you don't have money and you've really got to like find the next thing, now you're forced into a job that you don't like because, you know, it's urgent for you to get a paycheck. Or if you don't have education, uh, it's really hard for you to compete, you know, because there's there's a kid coming out of college every day now. um, And so why would I offer you with no education, despite the fact you've been off competing for the X however many years, Mm -hmm. a job? 
Um, so there's these, there's these different things that you're going to come up against. And I seem to have all those ducks in a row yet. And still the transition was really hard for me. And it's, as I said earlier, is this idea of like, uh, finding a new identity, finding a new dream to chase, finding a new purpose in life and understanding, like, how do I redefine, uh, who I am in the midst of this, uh, and and like I said, not get rid of that, but also embrace something new and and have that in place. So I think it's really important that athletes think about what it is you want to do. And anybody who's transitioning in life, you know, from one thing to the next, whether it's high school to college, college to your first job, um, first job to second job, or, you know, like retirement because you're financially independent. Um, you got to really have kind of, a, you know, a blueprint and, you know, you fill in the blanks wherever you need to. Yeah, I th- I'm glad you said that because I think oftentimes we're so focused on chasing a dream that that's all we see. And, you know, life happens, guys. Anything can happen at any moment. An injury, a, you know, something that takes you out from what you're able to do normally, it, it could be anything. And so having that backup plan isn't a bad thing. I think some people often think, no, I have to focus on this. It's this or bust. If I give any credence to a backup plan, it means I don't have full faith in my plan. And I don't believe in that. I just, I don't know if that's, kudos to those who do it. There's nothing wrong with it. I just am of the mindset that having thought to a backup plan or what will happen next isn't a bad thing either. Yeah, a backup plan is is not a bad thing. It's it, And it's okay to put the backup plan in place and then go hard 100% toward the thing that you're, you know, plan A. Um, but you don't want to not have the plan B. And some people, are, like you said, exactly are like, oh, if I have a plan B, um, that means I can't contribute 100% to plan A. And that means, I'm, you know, like by, by creating a plan B means, must mean I don't believe in plan A. And I, I completely disagree. I think you can go hard toward one thing, um, but have something in your back pocket because as, as human beings, we are, they're very, you know, we're multifaceted, I guess is the easiest way to say it. There's so much more to us than any one thing. So for you to say that you can only do this one thing and only do this one thing well, um, is, is a misnomer. It can't, it can't be true. Exactly. And, and you kind of live with that, with the financial planning and everything. So you have your degrees. One of the things I learned is you found that you went to two financial planners and you weren't satisfied with the response that they gave you. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, certainly. So I am, I come from a family of five sisters, two brothers, uh, you know, we're a large family. There was not a lot of income. My father had leukemia. Um, we were kind of spread out all over the place. Uh, and I just knew there wasn't a lot of money to be had. And that's why I said I had to figure out how I was going to get to college. But above and beyond that, I also, um, needed to figure out like, you know, what my life was going to look like because there was no trust fund. There was no college fund. There was mm-hmm. no, you know, it was like, okay, you know, you turn 16, get a job that same day, start building up your cash, start contributing to the household. Um, and then you get to college and, you know, there was, there was scholarship money, but it was like above and beyond that, you, you're you going to have to kind of figure things out. I'll send you money when I can, but there's not a lot of extra. Um, and so it taught me financial responsibility from a very young age, which I was really grateful for. Mm-hmm. And it also taught me that, you know, what you don't know, there should be an expert to be able to step in and help you. And so one of the things I looked for as soon as I, you know, I was a junior in college, I was 20 years old when I got the opportunity to go pro and I was going to make over $200,000 a year. And I was like, wow, like, this is amazing. 
but what the hell do I do with $200,000? Um, and I, and I was smart enough to know that even as a finance major that I didn't know enough about personal finance. Uh, like I said, I hadn't even finished college at this point, but that what I learned as a finance major was kind of broad strokes of finance. It wasn't personal finances and managing yourself on a regular basis. So I said, I need someone to help me with this. And I I thought it was important to go out and find an expert. Well, I did. People usually do business with someone they know, like, or trust. And what did I do? I didn't know anyone. um, So therefore I couldn't like them or trust them. So I went (laughs) to the next best thing. I went to someone else and I went to a nearby family member that I, you know, knew, like, and trust. And she recommended someone to me. Uh, And that guy just didn't, really ever tune in to who I was, what I was trying to accomplish. Um, I didn't know at the time, but there's all different kinds of financial people in this world. You know, it's financial coaches, financial advisors, wealth managers, financial planners. Yes. And the list goes on and on and on. And it's also confusing. Um, and so this particular guy was one of those guys that gets a commission for selling an investment product. Um, and so that's what he did. He sold me investment products, but I was 20. I needed a budget. I needed to understand what to do with this money. I need to know how to put, how to put money aside for taxes. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I I was trying to figure out like, can I move out from living with my college roommate? Like that was a real question I had. Now you would think, you know, going from having a thousand bucks a month as a, a stipend to, to make all your bills work to having 200,000 plus dollars, um, you, 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 you would know that you could move out, but it was like, well, do I get a nicer apartment or do I get a big fancy house? Um, and if I can get a house, what, how much house can I afford? Because I don't know what the real answer to that is. I know that houses cost a lot more than what I make. Um, and so I needed someone to stop and pause and spend a moment teaching me financial literacy. And there's so many people in the industry that just take advantage of what you don't know. And, you know, like I said, they, they profit off of what they're trying to sell. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's interesting. Cause you had it from the perspective of, you know, you have this um <clears throat> excuse me large amount of money right two hundred thousand dollars that you were like okay hey help me i got my first job at 21 i think was it 21 yeah 21 and i was making money and not knowing that i should be saving not knowing that i should not be cracking up credit card debt or anything like that and so i didn't even occur to me financial planning that did those two words never came into my head yeah i mean if you're balling on a budget too it's like i'm just trying to make ends meet so yeah Yeah. you're not thinking about like hiring someone else and giving more of your money away Mm -hmm. most people are not and it's you know one of the things that i like to educate people about is like the value in hiring someone and you know whether whether it is a good decision or a good time for you to be able to um hire a financial uh planner a certified financial planner at that because like I said, there's there's so many different people out there. There's so many different ways to be taken advantage of. Yeah. And, um, you know, like I said, when you probably need a planner most is at the beginning because yep. you're like, oh, my God, how do I navigate all of this? You know, 401k, HSA, uh, 403b, you know, they throw all these acronyms at you. And, you know, the, you hear it all the time. The, the time to start saving is immediately. Yeah. The earlier you start, the better off you are. But it's like, how can I save when, you know, I don't feel like I can make ends meet with this money. And it's always the entry level kind of money that you had to work your way up to. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's that's when someone needs to come in and, and you need the help of a professional. It's not necessarily on a long term basis, but you need unbiased advice to help you get you on the right path. And I just feel so like 
angry at the industry that that was not something that was normal until fairly recently. So there's kind of a movement of young planners like myself uh, where we're saying, hey, we want to serve our peers. We want to we want to help people that don't have millions of dollars in assets. We want to we want to help the average Joe or the, mm-hmm. the, the common Jane um, get the information that they need so that they have the best chance at being successful. Because like you said, if you don't know any better and we most most of us don't we just don't know what we don't know so how can how can we know that we shouldn't be racking up credit card debt when they're constantly sending them in the mail and everyone's using one if no one tells you how to use it appropriately of course it's going to be misused and so now you know you get a little bit older and then you realize you're like oh this is a this is a not a good thing and you know the creditor is calling me and I'm, I'm i can't even keep up with the payment and all these different things start to tumble on you and then you get embarrassed and now you really don't want to tell anyone about your financial issues or anything that's going on and you really don't want to hire anyone because you know you got to get the debt paid down so that you can get back to the square one and, you know, it just is this thing that compounds when really um, we should be talking about money. We should be discussing it with our friends. We should be discussing it with our family members, our parents, our siblings. And we should be getting the help of an unbiased person. Yes, an unbiased professional. Yeah. And even if it is just on a short term basis, like get me on the right track and let me get going. Um you know, I work with clients like on a short term or a long term basis. So if you're ready for that full all out you know, let's, let's do this. I want to be financially free and I want to get my whole comprehensive life together. Then that that's an offering, but that shouldn't be the only thing that's offered. So if it's like, Hey, this is where I'm at right now. This is the thing I need help with. Then you should be able to get help with that as opposed to just kind of shooting in the dark and, you know, trying to make it up. And then you dig yourself into a hole where you're really in trouble and you, you, you don't see that way out. So sorry, I'm going off. I'm getting well, no, Get passionate about this. <laughs> I, I think there's a reason to be passionate because, you know, debt, financial debt, credit card debt, it's all real. It's, it is a thing. And, you know, you see the stories, you see the news articles, and it's like talking about millennials who are suffering and won't be able to. I mean, like, who's helping them? Because honestly, even after I probably should have known better, I, you know, I get a job and they're like, hey, we have a financial planner. I think it was a financial advisor is what it said and mm-hmm. who will assist you. And I'm like, cool, that's great. I'm going to get it all. Yes, let's do this. And it's life insurance. And I'm like, this isn't really what I was, what I feel like, is this what I need? But I, 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 I kind of wanted someone to help me with a budget and kind of help me with laying out how to cut down my law school student debts and, you know, get on track so that I can live life without having to just be paying bills all the time. Because it is possible, guys, to, to have a life and not pay bills or pay all your bills so you can enjoy your life with help. And I thought I knew what I was doing or, you know, you get a financial advisor. I thought that was the answer. But there is no guidance. There is no Yoda. There is no Gandalf to help you when you don't know where to find the Yoda or the Gandalf to help you. <laughs> right? I mean, I'm like, who... Where I don't know what to look up. I don't know what words to use. And I feel like I'll tell my little brothers and sisters in church and my little cousins. I'm like, listen, like one of them just got two of them just got jobs. And I'm like, don't get credit card debt. I'm like, right. Pay off your bills, save money, save money. Don't just go spending it going on baller trips and stuff. Save your money. But I feel like it's in one year out because it's like there's a there's a cock. There's an arrogance. 
I'm not saying it about them. I think I had it. It wouldn't Everyone surprise us. We're you. younger and we feel like we're Superman. You get money woman. like that. You get a job. I feel like there's a bit of an arrogance that this won't happen to me. I will be okay. Mm-hmm. And so you don't necessarily hear the advice from someone else because it's someone you know. So I think you're right. There has to be someone new, someone separate, someone dispassionate who'd be like, you don't want to do that. That's not mm-hmm. the thing to do. But again, to, to what you were saying, you don't know what you don't know. Right. And it's hard. Like you said, the, the thing that, that hurt just to even listening to you say was, you know, like this guy ended up selling me some insurance. And it's a travesty that our industry exists in such a way that um, there's very few. You can call yourself kind of anything. The one thing you can't call yourself if you're not is a certified financial planner. And so you cannot use those marks CFP or certified financial planner if that's not what you are. Um, and that, that is at least the minimum that you should be looking for if you're going to go out and hire someone. Because you're right, financial advisor, Amy, you can call yourself financial advisor. Uh, my husband is a doctor. He can call himself financial advisor. You name it. Yeah, it just you can wake up this morning and decide to call yourself whatever you want and self-proclaim that. Uh and, and, and take it and run with it. And there's no legal ramifications for calling yourself that. Uh, and it, it's really, really sad that, you know, insurance sales, insurance is a thing. It's a thing that's needed at certain points in people's lives. It's, it's, it is a part of financial planning, but an insurance agent is not a financial planner. And that's the first thing. That's the way they draw you in and say, I'm a financial advisor. And then next thing you know, you're putting three or 400 bucks a month into some, some insurance plan. Mm-hmm. And like you said, I don't have a budget in place. They didn't actually ask me an- answer any questions about my student loan debt. And you got all these basic fundamental things that are a part of building a strong foundation. And now you got this product that they sold you so that they could get a buck in their pocket. And it's not right. Um, And it's why we need to better educate people about um, how to properly hire someone, what kind of questions you should be asking uh, when you're ready to hire someone. And, you know, what the difference is between someone who's commission based, because if you're commission based, you've got to make a sale to make a dollar and you're going to be a lot more prone to try to make a sale, whether the person needs it or not. Um, when, you know, your family and your livelihood and, you know, that roof over your head depends mm-hmm. on it. And I, I hate that there's a conflict of interest that exists for a lot of people. And not everybody earns a commission is a bad person, but there shouldn't be a conflict of interest that exists. And so, like for me, I'm a fee only financial planner. And what that is, is like, I only charge a flat fee. So you know what the cost of, of my service is. And it's funny because a lot of times people will run away because like you said, they bump into someone commission-based at a, you know, a big investment company or an insurance company. And it looks like their, their services are free. So it's like, well, you told me it was going to cost $700, Lauren. And, you know, I don't see any cost over here. And it's like, yeah, because their costs are hidden. They don't have to be upfront with you. They don't have to be fiduciary, which is a term that's being thrown around a lot. But what fiduciary really means is they have to do what's in your best interest. And you would you would think that anybody who's handling your money has to do what's in your best interest, but it's not true. Some advisors are required to only do what's suitable. And like what that means, I'm not exactly sure. Whereas a fiduciary is required, legally obligated to do what's in your best interest. So I need to be thinking about you first and making decisions based on you, not based on how it's going to affect me or benefit me. And that's where the unbiased advice comes in. Um, But how can anybody know that? I didn't know that. Right. Um, I ended up in the hands of, like I said, a commission-based guy. And then I went and I hired another one. I fired him 
because he lost a bunch of my investment money and it was like, oh, just wanted to let you know we lost the money. <laughs> Didn't provide any real background because guess what? As a salesperson, all you're required to do is sell. You're not required to actually know why the, the accounts went down or what you were invested in or right. anything like that. For them, it's oops. But yeah, oops. But yeah, he collected his commission and, and saved it probably in something else, not in the same crazy investments he put me in. So, so uh-huh. that was one of the catalysts for you creating Worth Winning? Exactly. That that was the catalyst. Uh, you know, it was him. And then there was another gentleman. And the other gentleman took advantage of quite a few athletes. Um, there were some NFL players that invested their money um, in a casino. And the casino never opened. Wow. And all those guys lost all the money that they put into that. And, you know, it's just, it's just not right. And so that's where I was kind of like, enough is enough. We deserve better as young professionals and as professional athletes. Uh, we deserve somebody who's going to do what's in our best interest, who's going to take some time to explain to us what's going on, to educate us. And I'm going to, I'm going to figure out how to be that solution. And so I went and I turned around and I enrolled in some more school, you know, as if I hadn't gotten enough already, (laughs) I decided to become a certified financial planner. And then I, you know, Decided to do uh, a college affordability and student loan advisory uh, certification. So now I'm certified because, yeah, that's the new thing that's in. What is our generation most dealing with? Student loans. Aren't uh, we all? So yep. you go to, like you said, you go to some fancy place with, um, yeah, I'm not even going to give the banks the, the satisfaction, but you know those big name places that you think of when you hear investments or you hear insurance. Mm-hmm. Uh, you walk in those places and you ask somebody about your student loans, they don't have a clue. Um, and that's a sign right there that they're they're focused on one thing. Yeah, it's investments, it's it's insurance. But there's a lot more to your financial picture than that. And think about what your main pain point is, and ask the planner if they can help you with that first. If they can't help with your budget, if they can't help with your student loans, if they can't help you, you know, figure out, you know, the the home buying process. They're not realtors, but they should be able to walk you through the steps and how much you need to save and how much needs to be set aside and, you know, what kind of things and pitfalls you should be looking at. Um, that's what a real financial planner should be doing is, is looking at your full financial picture and helping you with what you need help with, not just selling you something. So, Lauren, let me ask you, as someone who has seen this happen to athletes, to probably college students, people our age, you know, the gamut, what are some things, and and feel free, on a beginner's level that we should know? I mean, obviously, we, we should be getting some more help, reaching out to you, reaching out to someone in our area. What are those things that are that we should know to help us get there. Cause again, we don't know what we don't know and we're not going to figure it all out on this podcast. You have a podcast that helps with that guys. And you can find the link on the show notes, but right now for these guys listening, what can you help us with? I would say the two things that were a game changer for me were learning how to pay myself first. So, so frequently um, you get money and you're like, Oh my God, my rent is due. Oh my goodness. The, so-and-so is that my car note and my car insurance. And I got all these bills and, you know, you may have a little bit of money at left after over to save. Uh, but like this money kind of just dwindles away and you're not quite a, kind of sure what happens with it. And so this idea of pay yourself first is, is a, it's a real thing. And when I really started to implement it in my own life, I saw quite a difference immediately because that money was done set to the side. I get my paycheck already set to the side. It was, was what I was paying myself or saving for myself is the, you know, the real way of going about it. Um, and then I had to work with what was left. And if, if you're working with what's left, it's the same as if, if you had only been paid what was left. 
Uh, and you, if you treat it like that, you're going to make it work. You make what you have work mm -hmm. uh, and, and you don't run out at the end and all the bills still do get paid. So pay, paying myself first um, is a simple thing that a lot of people talk about, but actually implement it is a game changer. And then the other thing for me was a budget. I didn't have any idea how to make a budget, how to set a budget, you know, what my real expenses looked like on a monthly basis. Like, hey, how much money do you spend a month? And I was like, I don't know, not that much. I don't buy anything fancy. I don't like <laughs> make it rain in the club. I don't have a Ferrari. So like, I'm good. Um, but yeah, there's like another popular saying, some of these cliches, like they're, they're, they're cliche, but they're true. And it's, so if you don't tell your money where to go, you'll always be wondering where it went. And I did, I found myself like, Hmm, I don't, don't really know. Like, well, I got a check for like three grand and did I even deposit? Like you, you're just like thinking because you don't have any real system in place. And so even if it's just a simple uh, system, you know, I'm into like nitty gritty in the weeds, like categorizing every transaction kind of budgeting, but that's a lot for people. So maybe what you do is you just create some buckets. One bucket is a savings account. Next bucket is for your fixed expenses. So that's, you know, a separate account. Um, you have an account for your emergency fund and then you have your account for your fund money. And so people are probably already like, oh my God, four accounts. But like, if you literally take your paycheck and say, all right, this much goes to my fixed expenses. I know my lights, gas, water, and rent will get paid in that account. And you auto deduct those out. Like you've simplified your life. Um, and then you do the same thing with your savings. X percent of my paycheck goes directly into this savings account. You're done. Um, you know, you're same thing with your emergency fund. Emergency fund is another form of savings, but you got to get that thing built up first before you're saving above and beyond. And so you need money in place for an emergency. You know, what happens when um, someone passes away and you need to get to another state fast? You don't want to break your budget. You don't want to go into debt for that. Uh, put You, you got to have the emergency fund in place. And then um, I missed one of my buckets. Four, there's, there's four buckets. Oh, variable expenses, the last but not least. And then whatever's left over is the money like you're spending money. And you take your card around and you spend off of that. And when you run out of money, you're done. Like you have a good time with your friends or you don't, or you do, you know, arts and crafts or whatever your entertainment is, concerts, movies. Uh, that's where, that's where that money comes from. And so it prevents you from spending too much on that fun stuff and then not having money to pay your, your bills. Like your, your like I said, your student loans or your rent or your, your lights, your gas, your water, because guess what? They're in completely different accounts. So you can't even mess it up. So budget, um, and I use, like you said, I like more nitty gritty budgeting, but the simplest budget is getting these four buckets and putting them, putting a percentage into each of those four buckets and being done with it, knowing that you don't touch any bucket for any other reason, except for what it exists for. I love that, Lauren. Thank you so much. Cause I know that is just tip of the iceberg kind of stuff. Let's make that clear guys. That's mm -hmm. not going to solve the life, right? That's finance 101. Yeah. Call there me up for lesson 201. Yeah, there's so much more, guys. And you can find out more following Lauren, checking out her website, getting more information, or just in general, just take a stance about your finances. Regardless of where you are in life, it's never too late. Well, let me let me make sure. Lauren, is it ever too late? Well, I mean, you should never not try. This is what this podcast is about, chasing dreams. So go after it. Get serious about it. It's never too late to get things organized and to get started. Uh, I think that is the thing. And I, I, I know that time is on your side when you start younger. 
Um, the older you get, the the less time is one. And, you know, it's like the, the older you get, the closer we get to, you know, one foot in the grave, unfortunately. So you don't want to wait too long, but we're not going to say it's ever too late. It's right. never too late to do anything or to chase any dream or to achieve any dream, not even just to chase it. We got to achieve those dreams. And on that note, guys, Laura, thank you so much for coming on the show and just sharing and dropping so much, not even nuggets, but buckets of knowledge. Much appreciated. Hey, buckets. I like the buckets. <laughs> <laughs> and guys, that was Lauren Williams. Wasn't she amazing? She has done some wonderful things in her life, and I'm just so happy she could share her story here today. So you guys can learn more about Lauren and find all the links we talked about on the show notes page over at amyj21.com slash episode 159. That's episode 159. Until next time, guys, keep chasing. Thank you so much for listening to Chasing Dreams. Amy would love to connect with you and hear all about your pursuit of chasing your dreams. Connect with her on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram via at Chasing Dreams HQ. Or you can find Amy on Twitter at AmyJ21. That's A-I-M-E-E-J-2-1. Be sure to visit headquarters over at chasingdreamshq.com for more inspiration, motivation, and resources to help with your own dream chase. We hope you'll join Amy next week. And until then, keep chasing.